Hello, everybody. It is episode 110, 110 of the Luke Thomas live chat. That would make me, Luke Thomas, your host. How are you doing? It is nice to see you. Uh, it is Sunday. We usually do this on a Thursday, but we didn't get a chance to do one on a Thursday. I had some childcare challenges, um, which was still had a good day with my daughter, but nevertheless, it was a little bit occupied. Um, tried to do it on a Friday. Showtime came through. Couldn't do it then. Saturday was the fights, did a post-fight show yesterday for Morning Combat, live immediately after the fight, so I thought, <clears throat> it's the last day of the week, if we're not going to get it in, we're not, it has to happen today, so uh, here I am, I've had enough caffeine to kill a horse, which is always fun, um, because, <laughs> golly man, those fights, I didn't start the live show last night till like 1.40 or 1.41 in the morning, and I know, every time there's someone from the UK being like, that's when the fights start for us, I know, but the event happened here. The event happened here. I always find it strange when they try to make that defense. It's like, um, I don't know how much you'd love it if it was happening over there. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Point is, uh, I put up a thread right after the fights last night. Folks were asking where to put questions. I'm always, for a live chat, going to accept questions on the community tab, youtube.com slash Luke Thomas. That's the URL. YouTube.com slash Luke Thomas. You go to the community tab. And there is all the threads for the questions in there. I put up a thread last night or an opportunity for the thread to be filled up. You guys have filled it up. So without further ado, let's get going. If you would be so kind as to give a thumbs up. A subscription that would be nice we'll go for about an hour and then if you have any paid questions I will get to those at the end thank you for any and all donations I greatly appreciate them okay um, I rewatched let's see I rewatched Chemayev Burns I got up early I, I have not slept hardly at all I watched Chemayev Burns and I rewatched the co-main event and I started to rewatch the main event I will go back through the main event because it's important to watch but um, I kind of didn't finish it because it was, you know, as I mentioned last night, it was a little bit even anticlimactic. But let's get to your questions because this is our Q&A, but they are your questions. All right. <clears throat> first things first. I'm going to get my glasses. What am I doing? They are dirty and I don't even care. I can't see shit up in these things. Actually, I might actually have to fix them. Um, all right. Let's see the first question and I'll get it. If you were Hamzat's head coach... What areas of his game would you focus on improving prior to eventual showdowns with Colby and Usman, given his performance against Burns? I think you might get two very different fights. Hard to say with any real sincerity or any real no knowledge. Um, the one thing that stood out to me watching it the second time, I mean, it was pretty obvious the first time, but like really caught my attention the second time around because the first time I was trying to make sure I didn't miss any details. Or, you know, I was just trying to give it my maximum focus. But sometimes when you give it your maximum focus, you can still miss a lot of stuff or just fail to appreciate the depth of certain things, even if you notice them. In this particular case, I would say that the head movement is a real big problem for Hamza. Real big problem. He gets tagged because he just doesn't move it. He doesn't move it at all. What was interesting is, let me see how Fight Metric lists him. I want to see how they list his stance because... They have Hamzat as, what do they have his, orthodox, right. Did you notice how he dropped Burns? 
in the first round with a jab. It was a jab because it was a southpaw jab, meaning it was actually his right hand. He normally stands this way. He had switched to this way, so it's his power hand. It's just his lead. And so that's why it stuck Gilbert with a lot of power. Um, he was having a lot of success from southpaw, and he was not having nearly as much from orthodox. And he kept going back between the two. I've not had enough time to really look at the film hardcore to see what he was seeing. I thought in the first round he was he was a lot of southpaw. In the second round he started going back to orthodox. I thought, okay, well, he's trying to mix it up. But then I just I couldn't detect a pattern beyond that for a, for a while. So number one, he, this is the, to me the major takeaway was he has he has a ton of ability and he is able to get very far on what he has. But there are other portions that you would look at in a well-rounded game that are say that you would say are clearly missing. Head movement was a big one. His defense, as we've talked about before, and by the way, he has shown slipping in the past. So it could have been a coordinated decision to not do that, but he didn't do hardly any slipping this time. Um, again, there could be a, a very specific reason for it, and we've talked about it. There is nothing wrong with bringing your hands up to block. It is in no way, shape, or form wrong. Nothing is wrong with that. Um, it's in, no, in fact, it's good in, a, in many, many circumstances, moving his feet to get out of the way, like covering up. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. However, if it's the only kind of defense you employ, covering up and backing up, then you know the problem. The problem is that you have to then reset all the time versus slipping and then finding an opening in between, like a Volkanovski. Volkanovski is very good about pull McGregor, pull counter, and then pop them, right? Or something getting off to the side, meaning that they're you're getting them at the at, at a very exposed moment because they're all the way out, right? They're all the way out. So now, yes, they can have their defense up, but there's going to at least be something here. There's always going to be some kind of exposure that is created from that. He, uh, he does do a really good job of feinting and level changing and making use of that. But the big problem that I saw in this one was he had to reset all the time. And that really cost him a lot in that third round, which I grant he had moments where he was backing up Gilbert with heavy punches. But one of the problems that he had was how many times did you notice he just walked into Gilbert's punches in that third round? Because Gilbert would throw something and maybe it landed, maybe it didn't. Part of it landed, whatever. But it would he would cover and back up and then he would walk right back in and then Gilbert would sock him with a heavy shot as he walked back in. Um, that's one thing. Another thing I would say is he had a pretty decent diversity of strikes when he was trying to put Gilbert away along the fence, but he didn't move. And that's why he ate that monster right hand. Man, I went back and looked at that right hand. What was that, the second round that he landed in Gilbert? Dude, that might be one of the best punches Gilbert's ever landed in the UFC. Just in terms of clean shot, I mean, ton of power behind it, just, I mean, ripping into it, landing flush, <laughs> and Hamzat just took it. That was only the second shot that landed, and that was more of like a clubbing motion at the crook of the elbow that kind of, it, it knocked him over because he was obviously hurt, but it, it, it wasn't like a clean shot across the jaw that dropped him. The one that hit him straight in the face, it just whipped his head and he kind of stood there. I mean... Granted, it probably rung his bell pretty bad. I'm just pointing out, like, dude, that is, I mean, elite fighters should not be taking clean shots like that. It should, it should not happen very often. But it's going to happen on occasion, and when it does, you need to make sure you have a good chin. Damn, dude. Damn, that was amazing. So I would say the first thing is defense needs to be nothing wrong with this, nothing wrong with that, but there needs to be more of 
there needs to be more depth to his defense, more tools that he can utilize so that he can stay in position and then counteract when his opponent is more vulnerable. I'd say that. I'd say, again, up against the cage. I liked some of the body work he was doing. was really, really great. But he didn't move from there, which is why he was eating big shots. He was chasing Gilbert down. Um, so you asked like how he might do against a, a, a... Oh, by the way, one thing we didn't mention last night that I do want to mention today, the ground and pound was really good. A little bit frenetic, right? I mean, the, to me, the biggest issue with him is going not going to be teaching him the things he needs to learn, although I guess we'll see. We'll see what kind of aptitude he has overall for all the different dimensions of the game. He didn't even use what we would suspect is his best weapon, which was his wrestling, uh, because Gilbert shut it down, so he just decided to have a striking match, and he was still raw there too, but between the power and the activity and then sort of the willingness to trade, it, it got the job done. So you ask how I might go against Colby. It's like, okay, what was one of the things that went really right for Hamzat? Dude, Hamzat's takedown defense, including that, remember that takedown in the third round where Gilbert sucked himself at an angle behind the legs of, Hamz of Hamzat and then took him backwards? And then tried to force him over. And Hamzat had this like insane athletic ability to bring his hips to and his base underneath him and then drive away the far wrist. I was like, dude, what? Like a panther out there. His takedown defense is ridiculous. Ridiculous. You're asking what did he show last night that was elite. I don't know what else impressed you or not. But if the takedown defense didn't impress you, I don't know what you're looking for, man. That takedown defense was absurd. Gilbert Burns had him dead to rights on that and still could not finish it. And uh, and and it wasn't just athleticism. Well, that was a big part of it. He athletically kind of exploded out of it. But, 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 but recapturing the far side wrist so that Gilbert couldn't chain anything back together was just like... So you really have to ask yourself, like, what kind of threat is Colby going to pose? Can Colby get him down? Is Colby going to decide, I can't get this guy down, and now I have to strike with him? If he has to strike with him, Colby can kind of stay active, but Hamzat's going to tag him. Colby's defense is better than Hamzat's, but it's not It's not, It's not. not amazing. Colby has good defense. I'll give him that. He doesn't have amazing striking defense. And Hamzat is just going to march his ass down. And we know that Colby's not really going to do a lot with the – like, he's not, you know, Gilbert Burns probably punches harder than Colby, or certainly – at a bare minimum, exactly the same. No, I, I no, I would, I, I would say Gilbert that that punch he landed. I don't think I've ever seen Colby throw and land a punch like that. So, you know, you have to ask yourself what's going to happen there. Really, it kind of hinges on like Colby probably doesn't want to have to win that fight striking. If he if he has to do some striking, fine. Um, but I think he would probably want to win it with at least a healthy portion of, if not mostly, wrestling. And the question you have to ask yourself is. Does Hamzat have the talent to deny him that? Yes. Does he have the discipline to manage resources so that he has enough fire in the takedown defense late to not give it to him, especially in a fourth or fifth round fight? That's a somewhat different question, but I would still say probably. But the big thing is head movement, cage uh, tactics and, and, and angles up against the fence, and then management of resources. I think those three things, if he could tighten those up pretty quickly, he would be you would he would be in a lot less vulnerable position. Uh Luke, quick question on round two of Sterling Yan two. Most positive that it could have been a ten eight to Sterling because of how much control time he had from the body triangle, constantly threatening with chokes that weren't coming all that close. Do you agree with this? No. Hold on. 
considering that maintaining a body triangle is not by itself a near submission, and according to the judging criteria, control does not equate to effective grappling. Well, it definitely is effective grappling. Also, I hope your kid's doing all right. No, 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 she's fine, but we had... It's a long story. But no, no, Tuki's, Tuki's, Tuki's amazing. Tuki's at Target with mom right now. I took her to the park for two hours this morning. I got up early, even though I had no sleep, because that's what you got to do when you're a dad. Anyway, uh, so no. First of all, let me clear, be clear about something. Getting, creating back exposure, getting to the back, and putting on body triangle, that's the definition of effective grappling. Dude, you found a way to for a guy to show you a vulnerability. You took a position where there's complete asymmetry and you've locked it up with a mechanism that makes escape, I'm not going to say impossible, but very difficult. That's not effective grappling? Uh, yeah, it is. It's not enough to control. Okay, so what does that control get you? Right. Aside from the, the obvious part of your opponent is stuck, more or less. But beyond that, for the judges, what does that get you? That gets you the 10-9. That's the, that's, you're, you're good for a 10-9 there. If I take your back a minute into the fight and I hold it for four minutes, let's say. So I have four minutes of control time and I'm hunting for submissions and you're fighting them off and they're not all that close, but you're on the defense and I have your back. That buys me a 10-9. That's not a 10-10. That, 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 that is what that gives you. Okay, in terms of what the judges will recognize. To get to the 10-8, there has to be another component. There has to be a damage component, or at a bare minimum, damage as a function of very close submission attempts, very close choke attempts, very close uh, armbar attempts, darces, knee bars, something. Something where you're on the defense, you're scrambling, I am threatening a closure to this fight, either by limb extension or by um, you know some, some kind of choking uh, submission right he never did that he never did that that was missing and so for that reason while he did have it for a very long time there should be no doubt about who won the round but it doesn't entitle him to anything else I think there may have been one of the attempts that was kind of close, but it, I agree with you. It wasn't all that much. Let me tell you, though, why that is important. I've told the story before. Maybe you've heard it. Maybe you have not. I'll repeat it in a very Cliff Notes version here. I was working for an organization in the aughts called UWC, Ultimate Warrior Challenge. Not a very clever name, but they were sort of a mid-Atlantic regional promotion. They were one of the first promotions to feature flyweight fights. In fact, this is one of the best flyweight fights no one's ever seen. John Dodson versus Pat Runez. Pat Runez has been, I don't know if he is anymore, but for a long time, he was a longtime training partner of Demetrius Johnson. And Pat Runez had a fight with um, John Dodson, and John Dodson dropped him, I think, twice in the first two rounds, something like that. And then Runez had to fight his way back in the final uh, three and did. Um... I bring all this up to say Mike Easton also fought Chase Beebe, if not on that card, but in that in that organization. And there were several rounds where Chase Beebe would have more than four minutes of control. Couldn't do much with it. Like, there wasn't a ton of damage with it. There wasn't a ton of, um, you know, any, any, any real submissions being threatened. But the Virginia judges in that fight gave many of those rounds to Mike Easton, which is, you know, just very much impossible for me to explain. 
rationally. I don't, I don't know how they could come to that conclusion. And so it's worth sort of pointing out, what does the backpack get you? Um, by the way, Mike Easton versus Chase Beebe is the biggest robbery I have ever seen in MMA. I've never seen anyone ever come close to that. You're like, oh, I've seen robberies. Folks, when you see a real robbery where Chase Beebe had Mike Easton's back in four of five rounds and loses a unanimous decision. And when I say have his back, I mean for the overwhelming duration of each of those rounds. He probably had almost 20 minutes of back control time. I mean, not a doubt in your mind, and he lost that bout. Right? It's one of the, I've never seen a robbery that bad in my life. And that's not Mike Easton's fault. That's the judge's fault and the commission in Virginia's fault. But th- that's why I bring this up. It should get you something. If that control is effective, and it's effective because your opponent can do nothing but defend in those circumstances. But just because you have it for a long time doesn't mean you get a 10-8. It just means you get the round. Now, of course, you're like, well, what if he got beat up in the first half and then got the back taken in the second half? Then the questions become a little bit you know, harder to understand. But clearly, we can all agree. And I think what were the numbers yesterday for, for Jan? I'll pull them up here. For Jan and Sterling, Sterling in round two, here's how much control time he had, three minutes and 50 seconds. Yeah, not very, unless he got really banged up in the first part of that round, that's an easy call for Aljamain Sterling. And Jan only scored four of five significant strikes. Sterling had 17, plus one of two takedowns, plus three minutes and 50 seconds of back control. That's a Sterling round any day of the week. Any day of the week. So that's what it gets you. But it did not have, to me, that duration, that's part of a 10-8. But it's got to have that extra twist. It's got to have, you got to have some really tight submissions. You got to make this guy panic. You have to bring that fight to the precipice of ending. Uh, and then the other person has to claw back from it. And probably a couple of times that has to happen in a round. That's a 10 8. This was a clear 10 9, but no more. Many forget about Vicente Luque and his potential to win the belt. Could you give us a critical opinion to how he could win against the champ and the rest of the top five in his skill set? Well, I think if Hamzat really wanted to wrestle him, that would be some problems. But if imagine if Hamzat fought Luque the way he fought Burns. Now, Burns is a good striker, to be clear. But Luque is a very good striker, and I think that would be a, a huge problem for him. The difference is that Luque, while he has a good ground game, does not have a Gilbert Burns ground game. And so there's always these trade-offs you have to make about how you evaluate someone. But Luque, I think, you know, it, here's the problem. I think Luque can, you know, in the top five, is he the best striker? Probably something like that. What do the, what do the rankings say? What do we have for UFC welterweight rankings? So among UFC welterweights, here's the champ, champion in the top five. Kamaru, Colby, Burns, Edwards, Luque, and then Bilal Muhammad. I mean, you know, you, yes, Usman has some very impressive, uh, th- that win over Masvidal is impressive, but I would say the overall striking ability in terms of who's just got more to offer in that, you know, who's a more dynamic threat in that in that dimension it's Vicente Luque. He's the best one of all of them. Maybe not by a country mile or anything, but I would I would give him the edge for sure. So I bring all this up to say, how would he do? Really for him against a Hamzat, against a Gilbert? Uh, well, I mean, they're training partners and friends or whatever. But against a, and maybe they would fight. But uh, first, of all, he, first of all, he has to get through Bilal Muhammad. Number one, Bilal Muhammad is going to wrestle his ass to death. And I don't say that in a pejorative way. I say that like, dude, huh? <laughs> You know, one of these guys who's going to be all over you from the moment the bell rings at the beginning until the end. So he has to deal with that first. Assuming he can get through that, we can make a more informed judgment. But, you know, it's hard for me to believe that he's going to be able to withstand the wrestling pressure of a Colby and a Kamaru and at this point a Hamzat. 
Hamzat's a little bit different because they, again, how he manages the round is a little bit crazy. But but that's that's what I would say. But striking wise, he can hang with any of those guys and is probably better than them. Thoughts on a potential future matchup between Bryce Mitchell and Brian Ortega? I, mean, I think I've talked about this before, but it's impossible not to love. Um, you know, Ortega might have a little something for him there, and I th- it's an interesting one. Ortega's got a little bit more of an accepting style and then just kind of tries to be slick with it, whereas Mitchell has a bit of a hurry-up offense, you know? Um and so it's a question of who makes enough mistakes first, but you, you have to love that fight. I think I've talked about that before. Not a question, but a thank you from a longtime viewer from Dublin, Ireland. I took your fourth-round finish prediction for Alex and turned it into cash. 11-1 to here with the bookies. Nice. Damn, you made some money. There are a few Guinness on me if you travel to Dublin for an event in the future. Dude, I'm going to Dublin. I'm going to Dublin. The Irish, I don't know many Scots, but and I don't know many Irish, but... The Irish, in my opinion, this is my opinion, they're the nicest people in all of Europe by far. Love the Brits. Not as friendly. Not as friendly. Uh, Scots were pretty nice, but the Irish were, you know, this is, I don't want to exaggerate this. I'm just saying relative to American sensibilities, there's a certain gregariousness with them that is hard to put your finger on that we don't quite have. Anyway. Neither here nor there. Uh, one point I wanted to make. Uh, here we go. Was Burns the worst matchup for Chimaev in the whole welterweight division? Usman uh, similarly did not engage much with Burns on the ground due to his jiu-jitsu. Is there a world where Chimaev can actually out-wrestle Colby and Kamaru with less of a submission threat? Well, out-wrestle, it's... I don't know. I think he is very much on par with them. I want to be clear about that. But, dude, what did, like, what did, okay, let's talk about this for a second. The two schools of thought to me around Chemayev, I think, signal pre-fight biases. When I say pre-fight biases, I don't mean to say, oh, all of you had biases and I didn't. We all had them. Well, we probably had them in a few different directions. From what I can tell, there appeared to have been people who thought that Hamzat was just going to go in there and make Burns look foolish. You had to take seriously that possibility, but that was not high on my list of potential outcomes. Uh, I respected it. I worried about it for for Gilbert, but that wasn't my, like, let's rank likeliest outcomes. Um, and so what it tells me is that there was another group of people like me who were like, I didn't really know what to make of it. Yes, I could imagine a world where Burns got uppercut in 30 seconds, but I could also imagine a world where Burns kind of weathered a storm and then took it to him. And that seemed to be a little bit more the truth, although even that wasn't quite right. But the point I'm trying to make is it really depends on how you viewed Hamzat prior to this contest. If you had a what I would consider to be a very exaggerated sense of what is possible, then this was something of a coming down to earth. And so for that, in that sense, the stock is down. If you're someone like me who didn't, I mean, obviously what he did was impressive. I think he impressed all of us in that way. But like, dude, Burns is a completely different animal. This is not, you know, we're talking about a world-class opponent who is maybe the most well-rounded guy in the top five and is super experienced. Like, he's just going to run through that? I mean, yeah, I guess that's possible. And if it does, you know, it blows your mind. Yes, I've seen things that I didn't think possible. 
What McGregor did to Alvarez, I did not think possible. And then it just happened. So those things can happen. But it just this the whether you thought he went up or whether you thought he went down is merely a function of where you started. That's it. And I started, I think, at a more neutral-ish, cautiously optimistic space. And so for me, while I recognize there are clear deficiencies in what he did, there are so many parts to the upside that that's more of what I am focusing on. So that's the first thing I want to say is this is a sort of a Rorschach test about where your priors were on this before the fight happened. I think I think the second part I would say is what did this fight show when we're talking about Colby and Kamara when I think Hamzat is you know relatively equal with them when it comes to the wrestling, maybe better. To me, the big thing what this fight showed was not that Hamzat is bad. Uh, in fact, it showed that he was good. But it just showed he's terribly inexperienced. Terribly inexperienced. Gilbert is not. Colby is not. Kamaru is not. They are not inexperienced. And when you get a guy like John Jones, for a long time, it doesn't seem to matter that they don't have any experience. They're just so much better, they can just keep winning. Hamzat, to me, is also in a bit of a tougher division and is taking on tougher guys sooner than, well, John was fighting tough guys, but like, John wasn't fighting anything close to the equivalent of what Hamzat fought last night in his fifth fight, or you could maybe say the Shogun fight because it was a title fight was on par with that. But I'm just talking about like the quality of opponent that Hamzat beat last night. You, uh, you know, it takes a while in John's resume to find one that's equivalent um, like that. Now John obviously has a you know an incredible resume. I'm not here to say that anything other than that but I'm just pointing out like what he took on was way too much way too soon that's what that again we talked about last night that that could be a problem in terms of what does this do to his development but I just want to be clear dude that was an experience that was an experience issue he didn't know he dude he was so convinced of his own inevitability he could not imagine a scenario where somebody could do what Gilbert Burns did and he had to he had to meet that moment and did and showed a lot of really great things in the process, but that was an experience issue. Well, he got that 15 minutes of experience last night. That 15 minutes of experience is going to be a major inflection point in his career. Either he will take that experience and it will buoy him to extraordinary heights, or this experience will be wasted. He will not have learned the lessons he needs to from this, and he will be, yes, consistently still very good, but he will not round out the parts of his game that this fight showed were necessary to be the very best version of himself and in that sense give himself the best opportunity to win. He could still potentially beat Colby and Komaru as raw as he is. You may not you may not think that that would happen, but like is it is it impossible to really imagine that they strike on the feet early and that Hamzat lands a big shot and and that closes the show especially on Colby who's been dropped both times he fought Komaru? That doesn't seem that crazy to me. That doesn't seem crazy to me at all. Um, so this is this is where this is where we go now. Where we go now is what does he do with this experience? Because with a team like his, with his ability, how how just extraordinarily talented he is, if he can take an experience where he still won, he still won. He did not have to pay for his mistakes, but he learns the lessons from them. He's off to the races, folks. I said it last night. I'll say it again. If he continues to progress, it is inevitable he will be champion. Inevitable. Now, I don't know how long he'll hold it. I don't know who's going to take it from. It's impossible to know. I think some folks thought after 10 fights, he was ready to beat Kamaru. I, I was very skeptical of that. That was not where I started this. 
It's not where I started this. I started this being like, okay, he beat this dude. He beat this dude. You know, that's, that's impressive. But these other guys are just orders of magnitude more difficult. Orders of magnitude. So just reflect on whether you feel disappointed or inspired and then work backwards from there about what that says about how you went into this contest. I would really, though, really, really cautious you, caution you, excuse me. Please be aware of all the things Chemayev has to work on, but don't lose sight of the, of the enormity of the accomplishment along the way. And if that dude can, I mean, he's 27, 27. He's 27 and he, he it's, I, I wouldn't favor him to win, but I would not dismiss his ability to win the belt already. I wouldn't favor him, but I wouldn't dismiss it. Um, and I wasn't, you're like, oh, and everyone thinks that, you know, everyone knew John Jones was going to beat Shogun. Dude, there were a lot of people that thought John Jones was going to get his ass kicked by Shogun. They thought that's where it all stopped. That's where they thought it all stopped. And it didn't. It didn't at all. It just He just he beat the living shit out of Shogun in that fight. So understand that, that, like, fight over fight, whatever he decides to do with this experience will define everything else thereafter. Taking this and using it for something. Luke, what is the allure of La Liga over Premier League? I've tried, but just can't get into it. I, I never make the claim that La Liga is better than Premier League, but I I love Spain. <laughs> uh, Spain is the maybe the most amazing country on earth. Uh, if I had more money and spoke more Spanish, I there's a decent chance I'd move there. Like Spain is, and I'm not asking you to feel that way about Spain. I'm just telling you how I feel about Spain. I love Spain, and Spain's got its problems. Don't get me wrong, but. Um, and so my love of Spain produced and Madrid in particular produced my love of the team. And so it's got a completely different track. I'm not making a soccer argument. I'm telling you what I like in my life. And then I just go that way. Could Masvidal get a pardon from Ron DeSantis and how likely is that to happen? I do not know the laws in Florida, but I would imagine that if Ron DeSantis could do that, he probably would. I would imagine he'd be eager for the opportunity. Burns for Chemayev was what Gus was to Jones and what Gastelum was to Adesanya. All incredible fights which were much more competitive than expected. And the winner learned so much from and was then able to vastly improve from the experience. There you go. Great comparisons. Now, there's a difference because one was an interim title fight in Izzy and Gastelum and one was a straight-up title fight in Jones. And Jones had gotten a little bit... I mean, there's just no denying Jones had gotten a little bit complacent before... The fight with Gustafson. I, 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 maybe you guys don't remember this. Some, if you were around, you'll remember this completely. The pre-fight buildup to that bout was mocked by fans online. This is before the UFC got clever. UFC has always been, not always. In most people's experience, most of the time, the UFC has been the dominant promoter. And for a long time, they've been a very good, like a, in, in, a, an excellent promoter. Like when they promote a fight really well, when the UFC machine is really bearing down on a fight and they've got all the right ingredients, they're excellent promoters. They're excellent promoters. There can be no denying it. But they weren't always great and they don't always hit home runs. Nobody does. For the lead up to that fight, <laughs> 
they were promoting how tall each guy was. Like, this is the tallest guy John Jones has ever fought. And it was it made some sense because there were a lot of folks who, who still believe that like Jones is just a totally shit fighter and only wins because he has a fantastic reach and and whatnot. And yes, he does have a fantastic reach, but um, he also marries that with excellent fight IQ and, and extraordinary fighting ability. But yes, to your point, um, look at what those fights did for them. I would say, I don't know how much of a lesson Jones learned uh, because he still had a lot of problems, but for Adesanya, that, all that did was level him up. All it did was level him up. His mistakes were put on display, and they nearly cost him, but they didn't. They didn't. He, he worked from it. And by the way, you know those aren't the only mistakes he made. Going out to Blahovich and 205, it, it, it was those guys are at least in that fight on that night, they were just too big for him. He didn't have quite the right answer, and they had... He, he couldn't bring the physicality of his game. His game is much more physical at 185 than it is at 205, and that was lost when he went up. But he tried, and okay. Like, um, he, he learned from that experience, too, and you see him getting bigger and bigger and bigger, putting on more weight, and that uh, that process was in play before that. But, you know, I think it really put that into focus about what was necessary to do those kinds of things. Um, the good ones learn. The good ones learn. Volka mentioned he has aspirations of moving up in the future. With that being said, how would you see a potential matchup between him and Charles and Justin? See, that's an interesting one. Because I so very much agree with his assessment that he... Okay. Max notwithstanding, he is just way better than everyone else in that division. Like, they're not... Max is the only one who you could even say is close. And I do agree Max is very close in ability. But, you know, that's it. Like, everybody else doesn't have a prayer of beating him. Not right now. Um, you know, of course, anyone could get lucky and blah, blah, blah. But, like, to right, like be better than him? No. No, it doesn't It doesn't exist. So when he says that, you know, I don't know, it's kind of the Holloway fight or again, or I'm up, I'm up here, I, I completely understand where he's coming from. Still, he doesn't have a huge frame for 145, although physically he's quite strong. And that will only be more pronounced at 155. That is going to be a really interesting one. But as as curious as I am about it, and if he beats Max a third time, then he is there's nothing else for him to do at featherweight. He could just you know keep beating out of people that, but he won't stay inspired. I think that guy needs a challenge, you know. Um, there has to be a third fight with Max. Period. Period. There has to be. Neither of them are going to do what Jose did in terms of the duration of his dominance. Uh, Max, even if he could get it back, I don't know how much longer he can make 145. And also, you know, he's taken a lot of damage in his career as well. I'm not saying he's shop-worn, but I'm just saying his capacity to remain elite, given all of the difficulties he's endured is, and and still and does, is, is somewhat that window is narrowing. Um, so they can't catch Jose. But they are neck and neck. They're tied for title defenses. And Max's losses are controversial to Alex. Whether either of them is happy about that, it's just the reality. They are controversial. They're difficult to score. But if you get a third time, and if you're Max and you finally win, it somewhat validates the feelings of fans who thought you had won before. And if you're Alex, then, you know... Even if all three fights are close, 
and you win the third, you had 15 rounds, man. You couldn't beat him after 15 rounds, you know, and potentially nine. I said this last night, potentially nine different judges. Then that's it. You were just a better guy. And it doesn't feel the finality that you want. Sometimes you don't always get that. But this is a huge fight that will define not who's the best featherweight of all time. That's Jose. It's Jose. But, you know, of the modern era. Well, even Jose in the modern era. of uh, Outside of Aldo, who, you know, who are the high-performing ones? And it's funny because both Max and Alex have beaten Aldo. Uh, Max twice via stoppage. Uh, Volkanovski once via decision. But... You know they they the they they were clearly the better guys of the of the of this more recent era, right? Uh, but who is the better one? Big big stakes in that one. And also, I think that those guys out of Hawaii, the Gracie Technics guys, they really pride themselves on their fight IQ and their game planning and their strategy and their impl- implementation. I've often said that I found Max Holloway to be a very modular striker in terms of all the weapons that he can employ and the different ways he can employ them. I think they really want to win that one, not just for the bragging rights of beating Alex, but to really show that they could solve this riddle. You know, for a long time, Dominic Cruz was just chewing up all the Team Alpha Male guys, but they it took them took them a lot of time, but they eventually were able to crack that code. I think there's a little bit of feeling like that as well. Uh, in his post fight interview with Laura Sanko, Hamzat said he needs to work on his energy management. Good, and that this fight was so much of a learning experience for him. Good. Very happy to hear that. It's obvious, but we didn't realize that none of the top fighters go in a first round with that much energy uh, exertion. Very true. Will patient Hamzat be more dangerous? I don't see how he can't be. He won't be more immediately dangerous. He is very dangerous when he's bearing down on you. But it won't be so lopsided. It'll be much more pronounced over the course of a fight. And that's, that's, that's that's a better way to win at the elite level. Like Nganu in the Stipe rematch. Good, uh, that, that's also that he was just very raw and inexperienced. But remember how everyone buried Nganu, and Nganu took a, like an ass beating in that fight. Look how he came back. Until, dude, he did, Hamzat didn't even lose, and everyone's like, man, fuck this guy. What? I've been around, man. Like, I don't know everything. I, I get shit wrong all the time. You guys know it as well as I, but I've been around a long time. Fifth UFC fight, you're beating guys like that? Fuck. Given the skills Hamzat possesses, how should he have fought Gilbert Burns to a clear and dominant win? Uh, the jab, I thought the jab from Southpaw was just giving Burns all kinds of problems. Mixing in more takedown attempts, he kind of just got away from it because Gilbert was really good about shutting it down. And he didn't want to risk a submission, but I still think getting after it a little bit more. But he just a little bit, making those level changes mean a little bit more than they did. Um, sticking with the jab, not crowding him against the fence line, shit like that. What does he need to work on? I've kind of been over that one. I'm wondering if you think this performance from Tremayev shows that he should not venture back up to 185 anytime soon. If an elite welterweight can land on him as constantly as Burns did, I think an elite middleweight could land just as much with greater damage. Probably. Probably. I wouldn't say that's a reason not to go to 185. I would just say that's a reason to work on your defense. I, I, I know what you mean, that like it would carry more cost if you fought that way. I also think that part of what last night was was two guys who were, in the words of Takashi 69 letting their nuts hang. <laughs> there was a little bit of like, 
oh fuck me, no fuck you, guy. Like we're we're gonna have we're gonna purposely throw caution to the wind just to have a little bit of a tough man contest. That can happen sometimes. Where guys, you know, I'm not gonna beat you with my mind. I wanna beat you with just raw aggression and power, a signal that elite, you know, male athletes pick up on from one another. I think there was a little bit of that too. So um but yes, to your point, it would carry more significance of a loss. My only thing is, I don't want him switching divisions because it's not it's not it's not wise for his development. What's wise for his development is staying focused and coordinated on the path. Granted, one eighty five might be a long term play, or maybe in a few years or something. Fine, but recognizing to get good at something, you guys ever? I've, I've mentioned this before. You guys ever seen that movie Jiro Dreams of Sushi? It's this it's this documentary about this old dude in Japan who makes incredible sushi. He's like in a literally in a subway stop or in, in some I think in Tokyo. But he so it makes this point about how he makes sushi. Without giving away the whole documentary, the the lesson you have to take from it is he's been doing the same thing, which is somewhat basic, but he consistently works to every time he does it, make sure he can perfect it. Every time he wants to be so good, it can be perfect. And of course, you never get there, but that's where he's looking for. You can only do that when you have a when you have a uh, a narrow but defined and clear set of goals and a path that is also somewhat limited. If you're jumping weight classes like Connor's doing and shit, your development's lost. It's lost. You can make a big statement by jumping up weight classes and stuff like that. You're like, well, how come boxers can do that, dude? Like. If you're 27 and you're a boxer, you've probably got almost triple the experience that Hamzat has. So this is my point. He's got he doesn't have much experience. So so, staying focused about the weight class, staying focused about the lessons from this fight, good and bad, and staying focused on working on them, making all the good things better and making the bad things less, and then building in a coordinated, disciplined, structured way. For the next fight and the next you know year to two years of his career, that's the focus. That's how Hamza gets from wherever he is to the very best that he can be. And when it's time to move up a weight class, then they can they can make that calculation as a team, and I'm sure that they will. But right now, being like, oh, I'm just going to jump everywhere again. If he had gone in there and just railroaded Gilbert Burns and showed a level of skill that you know would heretofore be unfathomable, then maybe you could just say it doesn't even matter. He can just go fuck around. But it does matter. It does matter. He needs to stay focused. He needs to stay disciplined. And I think he will have his time at 185. But if he wants to win a title, which I think he is very much in play for, um, he needs to he needs to be committed to a committed to a process. Like Joel Embiid. Trust the process. Is Sterling's title reign giving you deja vu to Woodley's reign? Oh my god, yes, it is. Especially after they both had the title after two controversial fights against a fan favorite and then Wonderboy and now Jan. Yep. Seems Aljo will never get the respect. Had Jan clear 3-2 winner, though. Yeah, I know. Every time someone wants to... like People ask me, like, why don't people like Aljamain Sterling? And it's like, well, I don't know. I mean, I... I you know, Colby, people didn't like at first because he was being a dick to everyone. You know, giving away Star Wars spoilers. But they eventually came around. But, you know, they gave... Kamaru a ton of shit before the Woodley fight. They gave Woodley a ton of shit before almost every fight. They gave Aljamain Sterling shit before this fight. I mean, dude, he has been on a 13-month shit-eating tour by courtesy of the MMA fan base, and he stuck it to every single one of them. 
Uh, and then, you know, Adesanya is, was doubted until it was simply irrational to even say something like that. I wonder what those four have in common. Hmm. Let's think about that. But okay, since I know that it's going to be an opinion that none of you want to accept, I won't try and force it on you, but just try and reflect on what that might mean a little bit later. But I want to make a point about Aljamain Sterling because let's talk about that fight for just a second. Four and five were Jans. Two and three were Aljos. So it all comes down to round one. Did I not say, I think on Wednesday or Friday, on MK, Sterling has to bank round one to win. On two of the three judges, he did it. It all came down to that. It came down to one round, and then not every judge, just getting just enough judges on that one round to get the fight. One judge turns, and the whole thing flips. That's how much it came down to, just that. Went back and I rewatched the fight. If we all are in agreement that two and three are Aljos, and I agree, not a 10-9, excuse me, not a 10-8, clear 10-9, nope, nope, I mean, obvious 10-9, but no 10-8. Then we have rounds four and five, clearly yawns, 10-9s, but no 10-8. So then we're all in agreement that it comes down to round number one. So go back and watch round number one, and you come up with what you think is a good score. Having watched it again, um, I agree with Gerbaka Hitman, who I retweeted, uh, Kaposa, who basically argued if you just watch the first half of that round, Jan doesn't do anything. He just kind of corners him, but he doesn't land anything. I want to make a point about what Aljamain Sterling did in this game. We talked last night on my post-fight show over at Morning Combat about the back exposure that he created, which was amazing, right? That was great. And how he managed his energy. That was great. Like Again, threading... Dude, good fighters learn from all of that stuff. So Hamzat's going to tell us exactly who he is. But related to this fight... There's so many things that Aljo does that I just think folks look the other way on that you should not look the other way on. Forget about the grappling. And go back and watch the first two minutes and 30 seconds of round number one. And what will you notice? You'll be like, Aljo doesn't do a whole lot. He just kind of like, you know, he leg kicks him a little bit. He body kicks him a few times. But number one, that was more than what Jan did. Overall, he did more work anyway. And in the first half of that round, Jan just didn't do enough. So that's that first part. The second part is, dude... I want you to pay attention to how Aljo minimized Jan. First things first, lateral movement. Should be obvious, but we should note it. Jan never had a stationary target he could bear down on. He was constantly forcing to follow and turn by virtue of what Aljamain was doing. And Aljo wasn't doing it in a coordinated way. He was mixing up his rhythm and the whole bit. So it was very difficult for Jan to just find an opponent who would stay still long enough for him to hit, to hit him. That's one. Two, Sterling went to opposite stance and was grabbing the lead hand of Jan from, uh, I think Jan was standing orthodox. And Jan had to switch to southpaw about halfway through that round because Sterling took away that jab. Constantly touching it, lateral movement, constantly touching it, constantly touching it, glove control, glove control, glove control, and moving. So Jan now has to wait half a round, then switch to a different stance to get his offense going. Sterling took that away from him. Number three, all of the feints and the touches and the lateral movement and the hand control and everything else burns the clock. It burns the clock. So if I can make you have a non-stationary target, I can take away your jab without throwing anything, by the way, in the interim, I don't score a ton of damage, but I did more. 
and I'm I'm never centered for you to bear down on so that you have to make an adjustment about your and we know that Jan goes back and forth but watches he sticks into that this stance um until the offense for him starts to get cooking at the end of the first dude I I understand that what counts for what the judges are looking at is effective damage even on that count Sterling either wins or at a bare minimum has a completely reasonable argument and I grant that those other details I'm telling you about lateral movement and hand control and fainting and uh, killing the clock as a as a actual goal that doesn't sound all that exciting motherfuckers that wins UFC titles that that wins UFC titles at this level you have to have answers or controls or some kind of incorporation for as many impactful variables as you can. Aljamain Sterling did that. He did that. He re- he refused to give Jan a stationary target while tucking away his jab and made him eat up the clock to the point where by the time he got cooking, it was too late on two of the George- judges' scorecards. You can like that fact or you can hate that fact. It is a fact. It's a fact. It's a fact. And that is elite level fighting. It's hard for me to like sit here and be like, everyone be like, yo, Kamzat sucks. He's all raw, blah, 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 blah. And then at the same breath telling me how Aljo didn't win round one. Again, you can make a claim that Jan won round one. I'm not here to say that there's no argument for Jan. But what I'm trying to point out to you is all of the sophisticated things that Sterling does. There has been a coordinated campaign to deny Sterling legitimacy from the night of that fight until last night, and probably even still today. A coordinated campaign. And of course, the way the first fight ended sucked for everyone. It was not the way any of us wanted to see a title handed over, and Sterling was probably on the way to losing that fight. And it got delayed, and then the next surgery. Dude, you know, and, and also, by the way, we haven't even talked about the fact that, like, you know, this sort of tells you, like, when fighters say, oh, I was injured, I had to pull out of a fight, people are like, oh, you're a fucking bitch, you're a pussy, blah, blah, blah. You know, it's just these crazy things you're saying to these guys. Look at how good Aljamain Sterling, in terms of his, you know, not just energy resource management, but his physical fitness and readiness for this fight. People were mocking me on Twitter for noting his physical readiness. Boy, you better do some reflecting on that today. There has been a coordinated effort to undermine everything about Aljamain Sterling. And yes, I still thought, based on the stats of the first fight, you know, 16 of 17 takedowns attempts failed. Um, only one got through. Jan got all seven of seven. Tripled the offense in the third from the first. He beat Corey Sand or who, I forget all who he's beaten. He beat Corey Sandhagen. He beat you know Jose Aldo. He's beaten everybody. I was like, okay, I don't know what Jan's. I don't know what Sterling's going to show us this time. But you know, you knew Sterling was good in the grappling. What he did to Sandhagen and blah blah blah. And I understand there's arguments to make about Sterling too. We watched him get completely viciously KO'd by Marlon Moraes, who can't buy a win these days. I get it. He looked human. He looked human. Some people are shot out of a cannon, and some people have an undulating path. Aljamain Sterling had a bit more of an undulating path. But you should not be so blinded into just disrespecting a guy so much that you can't, oh, I can't even fathom how Aljamain Sterling could win. How could you not fathom that? You can't fathom that if you have blinded yourself to... Um, you have, you have made yourself unwilling to admire greatness beyond those who you like. And the reality about MMA is you're going to like some fighters and you're going to hate some fighters. That has no bearing on who's great. That has no bearing on who's working hard in the gym. That has no bearing on 
outcomes, nothing, nothing. You pasting on top of the UFC roster, like and dislike, winners, losers. That doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way at all. And so once you really learn to like, there's greatness everywhere, man. Or at least something cool, fun, interesting, different, if not great. There's that, that some, something to admire is everywhere. And you have to look for that and use that as, an, as a, a factor to appreciate. And, and, and listen, I should take my own advice. I did not... I did not, based on the performance of the first fight and then the delays and everything, I just thought I didn't, I, I knew Sterling was a threat grappling. You know, I knew once he got the back that, okay, this is not looking good for Jan because, dude, once Sterling gets here, he doesn't typically lose it. Um, but I didn't think he was going to overall put it together, and I have to I have to reflect on that as well. Fair enough. L for this guy. But please, 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 people who were like, oh, Sterling doesn't have a chance. This is ridiculous, blah, 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 blah. I mean, you looked at the shape he was in, the camp he comes from, and man, dude, that guy got bullied. Can we talk about that for a minute? That dude got bullied for 13 months. Bullied by other fighters, bullied by social media. I don't know if the media did too. I'm sure on some level they're guilty here as well. Just straight up bullied. They were posting, I mean, his mentions have been a graveyard for 13 months. People posting the Academy Award and shit like that, you know? Just this, this uh, there was just this decision made to say he is not worthy of respect, and then they just decided that that was a reality. Oh, oh, we have decided he's not worthy of respect, so therefore he actually isn't. But you're just trying to decide the world is what it should be based on how you like it. That's nothing. That is not a thing. Um. So for him to come back from being all the injury, all of the doubt, all of the bullying that this guy had to deal with and then to look as good as he did and fight as smart as he did and create all the opportunities that he had to including just being a little bit more active in the first and getting just enough judges to give him the nod that's the fight game folks at the elite level you have that much of a margin for error sometimes and you're like well how come you know it didn't cost Kamzat it didn't cost him this time it might the next or he learned from it and you never see this kind of thing again but you know it doesn't happen all the time but you cannot count on, I'm just going to walk through them. Oh, they're nothing. Any ideas on how to match make for 135? TJ and Aljo have a date. But Jan and Sandhagen have already fought each other. Who do you see them matching up against? I don't know. You could maybe, maybe like if, isn't Rob Font, what has he got coming up at Bantamweight? Um. Yeah, Font is sitting at five. You've got Marab sitting at six. Those guys might be due for a for a level up. They might be due. Should Hamzat consider a slight step down in competition before fighting a Colby or an Usman? I wouldn't hate it. I wouldn't hate it. I, I, not because I think that any of those other guys below him would win, but because it'd just be a good opportunity to work on some of the lessons from this fight. I wouldn't hate that. Sure. Someone says, I honestly think Burns won the fight. He I, he has a very legitimate claim. And honestly, if he doesn't get dropped in the first, he might have done it. He might have done it because he took the second. And by the way, Hamza took the first and the third. But what was the most dominant round of the three? I'm going to argue it was round two, which was Burns' round. You know, 
like when you when you really like noodle what it means to do what Burns has done, like last night, the fact that Kamzat overcame that is to me that's the takeaway. Takeaway is that dude overcame that. Well, shit. In hindsight, should Nate Diaz have taken the Hamzat fight to get out of his UFC contract? No. I think Hamzat does unspeakable horrors to Nate Diaz. No. Is Leon Edwards a favorite to beat Burns or Chimaev? I would not favor him to beat... Um, I definitely wouldn't favor him to beat Burns. No, I wouldn't favor him to beat Chimaev either. I think Chimaev's intensity would be a big problem for him. Was Hamzat exposed or did Hamzat pass the test? Again, that question tells you the framing, how you viewed him pre-fight is really the, the, the bigger consideration. Exposed meaning he was not an invincible god? Well, yeah, if you thought he was an invincible god and ready for a title fight in his 11th fight, then I guess you feel very disappointed. If you had a reserved view of it, then you might feel somewhat inspired. Luke, what do you make of Colby's absence from social media since the alleged Masvidal attack? I would imagine he has retained the services of an attorney, and I would imagine the attorney has probably told him for the time being, shut your mouth. Uh, which fight do you think was the peak of each great fighter's prime? Aldo? Ooh, I'm not sure. DJ? Maybe the Horiguchi fight? Maybe maybe the maybe the um the guy he tossed up in the air and armbarred out of Albuquerque. Uh Ray Borg, maybe that one. GSP, Fitch, Silva. Maybe Sonnen, to be honest with you. Stipe, probably the first Francis fight. Uh, John Jones, maybe the second Gustafson fight, something like that. And then Aldo. Mike Brown. Chad Mendez, maybe. Chad Mendez won. Someone asked about the 10A, but I clarified again. Of fighters that heavily use fainting, you're spelling fainting wrong. So a faint when you, ugh, is F-A. I'm not, and I'm not trying to insult. I just want to be clear about this. A faint when you pass out, that's F-A-I-N-T. A faint when you do that is F-E-I-N-T. Two different words. Same pronunciation. So what does that make them? Homophones? I think that's what they call it, when you have two different spellings for two different words, but they sound the same. Like there and there. Anyway. Of fighters that heavily use fainting, mostly speaking of CKB, Volk is the only one who also wrestles frequently. Is that the evolution of fainting in MMA? To use it not only to set up strikes, but also takedowns. Dude, some of those... Yes. Yeah, yes. Some of those takedown attempts weren't even takedown attempts. He would shoot on Zombie if he was like back getting kind of close to the fence to force him to wrestle, and he would just back him up. So one, it had the effect of A, getting him off... Oh, sorry. I'm, okay. One, it got him off the fence. Two... It pushed Zombie back, not not to the fence, just you know closer to the fence than he was before, pretty pretty close. It backs him up, uh, and then three, when he would clinch break, he has a notice something. Volkanovski will break a clinch, and then when he breaks the clinch, he gets to he knows how to find just the right distance to bounce and go. So he clinch breaks, and sometimes he'll throw on the clinch break. Sometimes he'll back up and then go. 
So he's got a real clear sense of his distancing off of a clinch break for immediate attack. So he would get backed up, level change, push zombie backwards. He's off the fence. He's pushed him back, breaks off, and then goes right back to the attack. So you're changing your rhythm along with it, right? Catching him on the half beat right there, right? You're doing all that kind of stuff. It's amazing to watch that. And that opens up so much more. Because if you can faint low, you can come over the top with a right hand. You can faint low, you can go to the body. You can faint low and then come up with an uppercut. I mean, there's a bunch you can do. You can, you can do any number of things. Or you can go over the takedown. All different stuff. All different stuff. But it just adds so much complexity and difficulty for him that, or his opponents, I should say, that they can't even keep up. All right, let's go to your uh, questions. And we will see. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Oops. All right. Thoughts on Bernie Sanders bending the knee? <laughs> Someone paid for this? To the establishment rather than using his massive leverage of threatening to run third party to achieve any of his policy goals. Okay, I'll come back to these. Uh, Luke, who wins in a five-round title eliminator, TJ or Aldo? I'm going to guess TJ, but that's a very, very close and competitive fight. I think TJ is a little bit... I think TJ would freeze Aldo and mix in the wrestling just enough to get by. Is it possible Volkanovski is sneakily becoming the next UFC great like GSP Silva or Jones? Given his current run, it kind of feels like we might be witnessing greatness. I mean, yeah. I would definitely agree with that. And I would add, um, still undefeated in UFC. Pretty impressive. Although TJ is the lineal bantamweight champ, how much of a claim does Henry have to the lineage being that he also won and defended the title? I mean, neither of them have any claim. You know, you got to get out there and defend it. But, you know, it would I, I would love to see Henry Cejudo back at Bantamweight. I would love it. Now's a great time. So I'm not going to say wide open because Aljamain's worthy of more respect. But I think people thought – I thought too. I thought it's – I thought I, I'm as guilty as anybody. I thought that this was going to be like, you know, Jan Stur, or Jan's era of, you, of, just, of just what Volkanovsky is doing basically. And that's not, that's not accurate. Um, and so, a guy who can wrestle like Henry you, and can strike like Henry, you would love to see him matched up against Aljo. Be great. In my opinion, Hamzat, Shavkat, and Brady, possibly Gary. Let's pump the brakes on Gary. He's a good fighter. Please don't misunderstand me. This is not insulting. He, he is not as close to title shot ready. He's not title shot ready, Period. Period. He's good. Don't get this is gonna sound like, oh, you're bashing Ian Gary. I'm not bashing Ian Gary. Ian Gary is very good. He is clearly a prospect to watch. He is clearly talented. He's down there at Sanford MMA. Um, he didn't have to have the most exciting fight, but he had a very, very good fight. He is worthy of respect, and I take his long-term upside very seriously. But in terms of who's really, really, really ready, Shavkat Rachmanov is very much ahead of him. And I don't think that's unfair, and I don't think that's mean. I don't that it is in no way insulting. Um, they will play musical chairs with the title in the future. Thoughts? It's possible. Uh, Shavkat taking a little bit of a more measured approach to his development, which could be a huge difference over time. We'll have to see. I also think that he's a lot better about managing his resources already. You know? 
Um, Shavkat Rachmanov has got potential talent contender written, written all over him as well. Did Colby mark out for his own gimmick? I don't know what that means. And did the Jorge stuff shake him up? Probably. Probably a little bit. But I think he's I think he's retained the services of an attorney. I mean, if he has any brains, he's retained the services of an attorney. And I'm going to guess the attorney told him to shut his mouth. Uh, I know Volk is top class, but were the optics just him being phenomenal or him being very good, but Zombie also having lost a step? No. No, dude. He was... Look at... Look at where Volkanovski was catching him. I don't mean here versus here. I mean where in terms of the timing. He's catching him before, in between, and after everything. He's never punching with him like, um, we're going to duel. He elicits a reaction, gets out of the way, and cracks him. He feints to get him to cover up and cracks him to the body. And then begins to mix everything together. No, no. He got, I didn't think, yes, Korean Zombie looked bad. Yes, he looked bad. But he looked bad because, not because he's like old. He looked bad because he was facing maybe the best fighter on earth, or arguably. If I could be a devil's advocate for some of the Chimaev Twitter reaction last night, I think UNBC, BC to a much larger extent, were putting him on too high of a pedestal just my best guess. I don't think it was us that was, well, yeah, BC maybe. BC uh, picked him to win. I still picked Burns, but I had thought that I was going against my gut because my gut told me Chimaev was going to win, but like my head told me Burns was going to win. So, yes, I mean, I'm sure, uh, fine. I'm sure uh, me and BC and all of us have some role to play in the media hype, of course. But in general, my personal view if this wasn't communicated effectively then fine I'll take the L there too but for me this was very much a question of um, I just didn't know I just didn't know I didn't have it's one thing to be like I don't really know and it's another one to be like oh yes you know oh I'm sure of it I wasn't sure of anything Uh, good stream quality, Luke. You're looking good considering all the setbacks you've been through. Hope all is well. PSU deserve the best. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. We're always working on things here. Sometimes they go right, and sometimes they don't, but we're always working. Late early show after pay-per-view research, then a Sunday live chat. Appreciate you, Luke. I'm doing my best, man. I'm doing my best. If you could holiday anywhere, five-star, first class, all the way, where would you go and why? Um... Like the Maldives or something? Your dream car. I don't really have a dream car. I don't... I'm not like in love with cars. I just, I would love to drive like a really nice one at some point in my life, but I'm not like, oh, cars. I don't... There's other things. There's there's nice homes I'd like to own. I could tell you about that. There's a lot of homes I'd love to own. Um, would you be willing to do for BC... What would you be willing to do for BC if he goes to see a Cannibal Corpse show? I don't know. We'd figure out something. This person writes, Yut, Marine, I appreciate you, boy. Do you think Chemayev will fight at middleweight before the Colby fight? I certainly hope not. I certainly hope not. What are the chances Henry comes back to fight Sterling? See, the thing is this. It's not for, it's not for Triple C. It's not based on what he thinks is most winnable from what I can tell. He's trying to get paid. Um, and 
you know, if if you're on a card with Sterling, I don't know exactly how many pay-per-views that would do, to be candid with you. Because um, while he is deserving of respect as a fighter, I don't know that there's any evidence that he's a pay-per-view draw. I mean, they were booing him in Florida and cheering the Russian guy. When does that happen? I guess in Florida. But the point I'm trying to make is... Um, um, if that fight gets put on a card with like Conor McGregor fighting, yeah, you can make a lot of money. But if you're the headliner, it's a lot of work and you don't know where you're going to get placed. And I, I think what he's looking for is a kind of opponent that just sort of guarantees him, you know, like they can't put this fight any place other than a stacked card and the fight itself is, you know, lucrative, whatever that may be. Do you think Chimaev will fight a middleweight? No. With it, okay. I'm glad Hamzat and Gilbert was was not five rounds. They delivered enough damage in three. Agreed. But who do you think would have gone the had the advantage in rounds four and five had it gone that far? <sighs> Burns was slightly more busted up. God, both were tired. Here's the thing. It's hard to say because they knew the fight was three rounds, so they kind of fought like it. They would have fought like you can't say, oh, if, okay, you, sometimes you can say, um, hey, if there had been two more rounds, what would have happened? Like Zabit versus Calvin Cater, because that was calculated on both sides. But this fight, the guys knew it was only three rounds, so they went balls to the wall as much as possible. I have a feeling if the fight was five rounds, you still would have had elements of that, but maybe a little bit less. Now, maybe not. I, hard to know. But I kind of sometimes you got to be very careful about this. Like, oh, just tack on two more rounds. Who wins? Maybe Burns. Maybe Burns. But that's a different reality. Uh, if you get two guys who fought in a very calculated way and the fight just expires after 15 minutes, then you can kind of ask, okay, how would two more rounds look? Because it's a little bit more in keeping with what a five round fight would look like even from the beginning. Uh, so that's what I would say. Kamzat has the size, strength, and power to be great. Yes, he does. Do you think Volk could make 135? I don't think so. I think he's saying it was getting harder and harder to make 145. And if so, could he dominate a division? Yeah, I don't think he can make it. I'm sure someone's already asked this, so sorry if it's a repeat, but who do you think would have won? Oh, yeah, here we go. Five rounds, same thing. Why do you hate Colby? He never talked bad about you. I don't hate Colby. I don't like his gimmick. I think his gimmick is odious and utterly repulsive, but I don't, um, I don't hate him. I, I, people think again, everything in MMA is binary: good, bad, up, down, win, loss. No one's got any nuance. I don't know Colby as a person. I've interacted with him a few times in, in person, and he was nice to me, and I was nice to him. But I found a lot of the stuff he has done utterly distasteful. Um, and I decided to stop interviewing him because he only gives a character now. Like there's nothing other, other than the character. And I'm not interested in interviewing your pro wrestling alter ego. I don't want to do that. I'm not interested in that. He has, certainly has a right to do that. I don't, I'm not telling him how to live his life, live your life. It's working for him. It's working great for him. You know, all things considered. Well, in many ways anyway, but there's a lot of benefit to it. So live your life, but you can't, you, I'm not, I don't like it. I, I, I find it repulsive. Uh, I know this is hypothetical, but to be honest, I think people underestimate just how big of a middleweight Izzy is. He looked huge even near Costa. 
I think Hamza would honestly have trouble. Yes, he would. And by the way, Adesanya's takedown defense is fucking good. Really good. Really, really good. At some point, people are going to respect Adesanya. I don't know when that is. At some point. I'm not saying you. There's, there's a lot of people who just, what? You know. Burns hurt Chemayev when Chemayev was southpaw. Was it because of Chemayev's bad SP defense or having issues with open stance and could Usman force the open stance too? I need to go back and watch it one more time because I remember that the jab was working much better for him from open from uh, open stance, Chemayev. And it was actually a closed stance where um, he was getting hit more at least early on. Excuse me, at least a little bit later on. He didn't look bad from close stance. He just didn't look like he had as much offense. He looked like he had better offense from Southpaw, at least at least early. But I have to go back and double check that for sure. Someone says looking fresh. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Got a haircut, so I got some new lighting up in this bitch. Uh, just a couple more of these we'll get to. Do you think this performance from Volk has started to change fan sentiments about him? Yes. I, I Again, here's how it goes. I don't like a guy or I don't respect a guy to, okay, I still don't like him, but I respect him, to I love him. That's the continuum, right? And sometimes guys get there a little bit earlier. Sometimes they get there a little bit later. We're at the I like him slash I don't like him, but I respect him stage of things. It's a stage of grief for haters, basically. <laughs> it's a stage of grief for haters. Um, you know, it's always like, you know, bargaining and acceptance and all the different stages and in, in grief. That's that's grief for haters. Grief for haters is all right. I don't like him, but I respect him. I know it won't happen soon, but I'd love to see Marab versus Aljo. They're teammates. I also think a Volk Oliveira matchup is quite interesting. Yes, that is very interesting. Especially with the size disparity and like the body type difference. It's crazy. Did you guys see Lubin versus uh, Fundora last night on Showtime? I know a lot of you won't be boxing fans. It's cool. But uh, Fundora fight, fights at 155 pounds and he's basically six foot six. They call him the Towering Inferno. He fought Erickson Lubin, who's a very good fighter. They had to call the fight after the ninth. His, uh, Lubin's corner did, even though he dropped. He got dropped in the second, then dropped Fundora in the seventh. But he was, he, it looked like his face was broken and swelling, so they called it. But um, you had this really weird... He's got such a weird fight style. You'd think he would fight long, and sometimes he does. Most of the time, he doesn't. He, and, and people just get inside on him, and he just likes it. It's crazy. It's crazy how he, can, he fights that way. If you haven't seen it, go check that out. Fundora and Lubin. Do you think that uh, Hamzat's trajectory could mirror Cody Garbrandt, who got the belt in his 11th fight, but was ultimately hindered by lack of experience later? Garbrandt also had chin issues before that not like terrible ones but they were there um but yes as a general rule if he doesn't build from this this still might be enough to win but probably isn't uh the championship and he still needs to work on some parts of his game to get it better to so he can't he he, he has to pivot from this for sure Do you feel Adesanya pieces up pieces up Hamzat as he is now? I think Izzy would win a striking exchange. Put it that way. Piece him up, I don't know. But but 
get the better of him, yes. Gilbert's stock has gone up, so what's next for him? That's the harder one to figure out. Again, he might get the winner of Luke versus Muhammad, or maybe the loser. Sorry, he might get the loser of Luke versus Muhammad, but that could be weird because Luke was the guy that rep that um I think they're friends and teammates. And Burns told us his sports psychologist recommendation came from Luke. So that might be a weird one. But like let's say Bilal loses. That'd be a great fight. You could do that. Um, and I think that is it. Oh, no, there's a couple more. Jesus. Volk versus UFC 194, Connor. Who wins? Volk. I think Volk fucks him up bad. Bad. Volk tears through him like it's nothing. I know a lot of people are dying to see Volk versus Holloway 3, but I feel like Volk has less miles and the damage will finally catch up to Holloway. I know Holloway hasn't shown any signs of falling off, but he's only been in wars. You know what Volk versus Holloway reminds me of? It reminds me of Triple G and Canelo a little bit. Now, they're not the same kind of stars, and they don't have the same... I mean, there was a whole lot of thing where Triple G was accusing Canelo of using steroids and all that stuff. We don't have any of that nonsense. But you have two fights, right, where a lot of fans believe that Triple G won, especially the first. Some of us think he won the second. And now he's getting a little bit older, but he's still pretty good. He just beat Murata on on, uh, Saturday morning over in Japan. And they think that now, now is the moment where um, if he's going to have any chance, he's got to go do it. But he's getting a little bit older, right? 40 years old, like Murata was eating him up with body shots early, couldn't sustain him, but was eating him up early. And then, you know, Triple Triple G did Triple G things. But this point being is the guy who lost the first two in controversial ways is now much older and in a very different place in his career. Again, it's a little crazy to say that, you know, we're comparing Holloway to a 40-year-old man. But to your point, Holloway's been around for a long time. He fought, started fighting very early. He's been in a lot of very tough fights and a lot of wars. The Dustin Poirier fight, the Yair Rodriguez fight, and many others. Um, and although I should say the second Dustin Poirier fight, even though the first one was a beating too. But you get the idea. Like, uh, now he's probably going to get this third crack, but you're the least physically capable relative to the first two than you were, than you ever have been. And uh, this is still going to be your... And if you don't get it done here, then it doesn't matter how controversial the first one was. People are just going to see the guy won three times. All right, he was probably the better guy then. Or Max goes in there and changes everything. But it, it, it has shades of Triple G Canelo in it with the way that they matched up the first two times and where they meet in the third time eventually. There are, there are some pretty interesting parallels there. All right, and I think that, ladies and gentlemen, is it. Um... Oh, last one. Okay, this is truly the last one. If Marab won't fight Aljo because they are teammates, what's next for Marab? Does he go to 145 or does he just fight a teammate? He might just fight a teammate. You know, sometimes guys don't do it. Fitch and Koscheck never did it, but sometimes they just do. Uh, and 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 it's it's interesting. Like in kickboxing, a lot of the Dutch guys would seemingly from the same gym sometimes would fight each other, and it was like it didn't seem like it was that big a deal. But in MMA, it can be, you know, and I can understand it can be disruptive. I know it was disruptive um, at, at uh, Duke Rufus's gym when Rafion Stotts was supposed to fight uh, Sergio Pettis, and I think Rafion had to leave. Not, I, I don't know the circumstances, but I think Rafion's training with like Corey Sandhagen now over at Elevation. So um, I don't know what the full story is there, but you could tell it can it can it can split a gym apart. It can be it can be a problem. So it's not so easy to say, but. At some point, if you want to have two elite people of the same weight class, these these questions are going to come up. It's just a reality. 
All right, so one last apology for you guys. I'm sorry I couldn't get this done on Thursday, and I'm flying again this Thursday. So we're going to figure out a live chat. I'll probably do it on Wednesday. Um, or what I might do is I might record it Thursday morning. Uh, you know what? My I don't have to leave the house. My flight is not till later in the afternoon, so I might just push it a little bit earlier, like a 1 o'clock on a Thursday. So we're going to have one. I just got to figure out that out because uh, I am off to Texas on Thursday. Um, oh, I'm off to New York on Tuesday for a special surprise for you guys. Uh, so check that out in the Morning Combat channel on Tuesday. And then on uh, Thursday, I'm off to Texas for Spence versus Ugas. And by the way, don't forget Bellator, Pitbull McKee 2 this weekend. And you get the finals of Vadim Nemkov versus Corey Anderson. And I'm not the first person to be like, oh, Bellator's cards are great. I, 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 they're hit or miss. They're hit or miss. This one's a hit. This one's a hit. So you got to see that. All right. Thank you so much for watching. I really appreciate it. I am going to call it a day for the day because I'm tired and I don't want to do this anymore. And then, uh, yeah, that's it. I will see you guys next time. Thank you for watching. Email me if you have any questions. LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. Thank you for your donations. I'll talk to you guys on Thursday. Until next time, stay frosted.